Hey there, Christina Kay here. A few years ago, I drop-kicked my corporate career to pursue my true passions of writing books and helping my fellow authors do the same. And while I'm now an award-winning, best-selling author, veteran editor, and self-publishing coach to over 100 authors, once upon a time, I made all the same painful but super common mistakes that new writers make every single day. Now fast forward through all the tears, frustrations, and heartbreak, and today I teach authors worldwide how to write their best book ever and how to launch their successful writing careers. I started the Self-Publishing Success Podcast to give you easy-to-follow, actionable advice on becoming a successful indie author by letting you eavesdrop on coaching sessions with people just like you. Each episode, I pull back the curtain and you get to listen in as a fellow book writer shares their biggest struggle and I coach them and you through every step they must take to overcome, to succeed, and to become their own, you guessed it, book boss. So if you're an aspiring author, or even if you've published before, but you just aren't happy with the results that you got by going it alone, you're in the right place. Let's get started, shall we? Hey there, Christina Kay here. A huge heartfelt thank you for tuning in to the Self-Publishing Success Podcast, a show that is dedicated to helping aspiring and struggling authors overcome their biggest challenges and successfully launch their books and their careers. I'm your host, Christina Kay, and not only am I the award-winning bestseller of seven published crime and suspense novels, I've been working behind the scenes in the publishing industry for over 13 years as an author, coach, and book editor. Each week on this show, I'll sit down with a successful indie author and chat with them about one struggle that they faced early in their career. And together, we'll talk through the issues so you can learn from our mistakes and overcome them too. Please tap the follow button on this show so you don't miss a single episode. And be sure to find and follow me everywhere at Book Boss Official for tons of free helpful tips and tricks to help you on your writing and publishing journey. Looking for ways to improve your writing skills? Well, did you know that Book Boss Academy has its very own Etsy shop filled with helpful digital tutorials, workbooks, and templates to help you improve your craft, write the best book possible, and successfully self-publish it? Check out my bestseller, The Book Boss Digital Author Planner, as well as other customer favorites like the Author Brand Builder Kit, the Author Digital Business Card Template, the Media One Sheet Template, the Perfect Setting Playbook, and the Character Development Workbook. I add new resources and fun bookish items several times a week, like my super popular Sign by the Author book stickers, and many other fun stickers, bookmarks, and other book accessories for authors and book lovers. Hit the link in the show notes, or you can visit the shop directly at etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash book boss academy now. And if you use the coupon code bookboss15, that's bookboss15, at checkout, I'll take 15% off your total purchase of $10 or more. You're welcome. 
Now, enough of all that. Let's hit the play button on this bad boy and get this party started, shall we? Okay, so this week I am so pleased to have with me in the, I guess, studio, it's more like my home office, the amazing Amy Rivers. And we're just going to dive right in. I'm going to let her tell you all the good things about her. So let's just do that. Let me toss you the mic. Hi, Amy. Hi, thank you so much for having me on the show today. I'm so pleased. I'm really excited. When I found your content online, I was like, she's got to be on the show. This is perfect. So why don't you tell my listeners what kind of stories that you write? Basically describe Amy Rivers, the author, for us. All right. I write stories about women, really at the base of everything that I do, stories about women. And right now, that is suspense, thriller, stories that have a big tie into big social issues, especially things like interpersonal violence and mental health issues. Those are kind of near and dear to my heart. So at the end of the day, psychological thriller suspense with, uh, I'm going to say a moral twist that has to do with what's going on in the world today. I love it. That makes your books timely and it makes them relevant and probably I would guess helps with marketing. It makes it pretty, um, you know, there are a lot of really great topics. There are lots of awareness month sort of Mm -hmm. things that get supported. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I do a lot of giving back to different kinds of organizations that actually support victims in a lot of different areas, sexual assault, human trafficking, places like that. And so, yeah, it's, it's a really great way to not only market the books, but also then to give back to the community. And raise awareness. That's great. All right. So now, if you don't mind, give me the Cliff Notes version of your experience as a newbie author, because we all have that horror story, right? I don't think I've ever in 15 years met an author who's like, my newbie journey was amazing. (laughs) But for you, what was that like? And why did you decide to become an author in the first place? Kind of a two-part question. I've always loved to write, but when I moved to Colorado, I, I lived for some years after I had my kids in Southern New Mexico, which is my hometown, home state area. And when I moved to Colorado, I was looking for jobs and kind of just feeling things out. And I started doing some writing. I actually had intended to maybe work on some magazine writing. And I took a class from a local organization and then basically ended up writing my first personal essay, which got published in a chicken soup book. And that was pretty exciting. And I was like, I'm going to write a book, which I had never been able to do before because I get kind of stuck in the muddy middle and can't figure out how to get my way out. So I decided to write a book. And at that point, I had become really, really passionate about women's issues and especially things that have to do with interpersonal violence. So my first book was more women's fiction. And I wrote it and I did what every newbie author does and wanted to like get it out there in the world as fast as humanly possible. You know, it did the thing. So now I want everybody to read it. And I thankfully have a lot of good people in my personal circle who helped with a lot of the elements of that. And I also had 10 years of internet marketing to kind of help balance out some of the promotional sides of things. But it's amazing to me. Um, just how many typos and grammatical errors and things can slip through the fingers of even the most diligent person. And so that first book went to market and I was, you know, watching people's reactions to it. Uh, Oh, I love the story. Oh, I love the characters. By the way, you have 16 typos. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. 
So, um, yeah, so it was, it was a little weird. And then I got picked up by a small press and there I think is sort of my cautionary tale and the place where things got really bumpy because I was super excited about it. And on my first book that they published for me, which was the second book in the series that I had written, they did a full find and replace on all of the words that ended with ing throughout my manuscript without actually looking at it. And that was their edit. That was their edit. And it was a disaster of mass proportion. <laughs> they even removed the was before it? Uh, no, no, they did not. What's the point of doing it? Okay, okay. Yes. Wow. So um, I had to go through, I actually had a really good friend who is an editor who went through and helped to fix all of that. Yeah. But it was a disaster. And yeah. so I learned very, very quickly <laughs> a good hard lesson about sort of just handing your book over to somebody and saying, here, do what you want to do with it. <laughs> it is. And I have, I have a very similar war story. I actually, we've got to be friends because that is almost exactly my path. And my, I won't go through it. My listeners know it, but I basically did the same thing. I rushed out a book or two or three and plop, plop, plop. And then I got picked up by a small press and it's the same thing. Like you, you might as well do it your damn self at that point. And I think that's where you got to, and it's where I eventually got, and many of us are at, at the place we are now, especially in 2023 when self-publishing is rocking it. But we did, you know, learn lessons. So if you had to pick, I'm guessing I know the answer, but what would you consider was the biggest obstacle based on what you just told me that you had to overcome, or maybe you still deal with it? And how did the struggle manifest for you? I'm assuming it has to do with editing. We'll go for it. Well, there's a couple of things there. One, I'm visually impaired. So editing in terms of like copywriting and proofreading is always a disaster for me. So I, you know, always attempting to get things perfect, but I know, and I didn't really know this as a newbie, but as I've gone along, I've started realizing that, you know, it really is important to have professionals around you who can help to shape and to mold the things that you're working on. I know for me that editing is always going to be sort of a hard area. And so Mm -hmm. I did learn those lessons the hard way. And now I've gotten to the point where I sort of have figured out that I must surround myself with the people who know how to do the things that I can't do well so that whatever book I'm putting out there is going to be the best quality it could possibly be. And then, you know, the second thing would be just as a newbie, you you rush into everything. I mean, you rush into contracts, you rush into everything without really... Excitement. I get it. We yes. get it. But it's just that eagerness, excitement, and need for validation. Absolutely. And I mean, you really, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't always know what to ask. Quoting me now. <laughs> Or I'm putting you. <laughs> we are psychically linked. No, <laughs> it's exactly right. And, and to that point, if I may, I will say I want to emphasize for our listeners in case we don't get there. When you said something about you know how there were typos in your books and whatever, there are two two points I want to emphasize. One is that even editors, and I've been a professional editor for almost 13 years now, and. We have a standard in our industry and all experts agree that I think it's five to 7% error margin that we are basically allowed, which, which is not, I know authors get all up in arms about that, but think about it. We're people too, you know, so even the best of editors can't catch everything. So how can you catch it yourself? And the second point being, there's even, I want everybody to check this guy out. There is a professor at the University of Sheffield in the United Kingdom. His name is Tom Stafford. 
he studies this entire topic of why and how we cannot edit for ourselves. And he's got great examples. So if you listen to him or watch a YouTuber too, you're going to be convinced that you need a professional editor. So yeah, I'm glad glad (laughs) to see the point where you figured that out. Well, yeah. I mean, once you've read your book like 700,000 times and not only do you not catch things anymore, but you also just hate it and you're like, nobody's ever going to like this because I hate it. I mean, I think we all kind of get to that point and you surround yourself with maybe, you know, first round readers and family, people who love you. And once they've read the book 7,000 times and also hate it, you have to have an extra set of eyes on it. Like it is hugely important to have someone else take a look because we all become blind. And I think that that's even true for, you know, professional editors. It's like, once you've read through something too many times, you stop seeing the problems because you're filling in the context in your brain. Um, And so, you know, having that, that viewpoint is important. Mm-hmm. And that's what that Professor Stafford talks about. And I always say it's called brain mapping, but I don't know that that's the exact right word. There's something about our brains, and it's been scientifically proven, that says that we, and that not editors, we people, will fill in what is supposed to be there, not what is there. So, like, if we leave out a the or a, or a that, or whatever. Well, no, that's not a good word. But if we leave out a word, for example, and we're reading it back to quote proofread, nine times out of 10, our brain can actually just skip over and put that word in there. For sure. There. You see those memes all the time on social where they have like every word spelled wrong and they ask you to read through it. And you can, because yeah, you know, we understand words, not just based on the letters, but on the context, on the shape of the word, on the number of letters it has, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on in our brains that helps us see what we want to see on the page. I cannot spell the word publicly for the life of me. Like I, I don't I care how many times, every time I spell it wrong. And you know, I'm I miss it. Too. I'm <laughs> to go, embarrassed and harassed. And I'm yeah. an editor. It's just natural. I can when I stop for a second, but it's one of those words that every time it does stop me. Every time. Yeah. Every time. I'm like literally having to spell it out in my head. I'm like, I'm never going to get this right. And it's, it's you know weird. Why? You're a human being. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And, you know, a completely flawed one. So I, I think that one of the great things about getting along the way in your writing career is that you do start to realize that you're not perfect Mm -hmm. and never will be, and it's okay. And so you figure out how to do the things you do well, and then bring in the people who can do the other things. Well, I put a pin in that. That's a good one. I'm actually going to pull that out as promo for this episode because you just articulated it perfectly. We're writers. We're not cover designers. We're not proofreaders or editors. We're not publishers. I mean, we eventually become them. But we need to recognize, like you just said perfectly, I'm just underpinning it, that we have to recognize where our strength is and hone that craft and be working on improving constantly and realize that we do need to lead on professionals to do things that they are experts at and that is their strong point to help support us. But the problem is it breaks my heart almost daily that there are stories of authors, I hear it on TikTok, Instagram, clients I work with, authors who have been ripped off by editors, I call them predator editors, either because they were well-intended but very inexperienced, most cases that's it, or worse yet, they run off with their fee and never to be heard from again. And did you know, I would say fun fact, but it's not, 
insider information, there are tons of editors who only just use ProWritingAid or Grammarly and send it back to you. I believe that. I have seen and, you know, through the process of vetting and trying editors over time, you know, I have seen a lot of that. You can tell when someone is using a tool or when someone is very, very focused on one particular thing, but they're kind of missing other things. So, I mean, there's a lot to look for. Right. And it's no wonder that those of us who are trustworthy and reputable and and do really want to help authors have such an uphill battle to climb. I have, there's so much education in my job that's involved in convincing the consumer that they need me. And that's because of things like that. But if we as authors are serious about building a career in publishing, there comes a point when we have to learn how, when, and where to find those editors and work with them. Because as you said, that's a step we can't skip at all if we want our books to do well. So question back to you, what was that turning point for you, the moment when you realized finally, which you kind of went over, but tell us more about how that manifested when you're like, yep. I need an editor. And then how did you go about finding one? Well, so after the small press debacle, uh, I completely turned my attention back to traditional publishing because I was freaked out and I was like, okay, clearly I need somebody who knows how to do all of this stuff better than me. And so for a while I was pitching and I was going through the process. And then I met an author at a conference who we were talking after one of his presentations and I was telling him about my marketing background and he asked me why I wasn't self-publishing. And I really didn't have a good answer for that question because as it turned out, I was being sort of led by fear and by, you know, just a lot of different things, people telling you what you need to do. Yep. Yes. And so it's, it's hard. So that was a really great conversation because I came back to my, you know, to my home after that conference and had a really honest conversation with myself about what I wanted to do. And what really occurred to me was that there's not that big a difference between a traditionally published book and a self-published book, except for the resources that are available to put towards that book. So a self-published author often thinks that they have to take on every single thing that a a traditional publisher would do for them. But that's not actually the case. And so that was, it it seems kind of simple, but it was sort of a a light bulb in my brain where I went, okay, wait a minute, I can work on making this the best story, but I'm going to hire professionals because if I were going through a traditional publisher, they would have graphics designers and editors and publicists and all these professionals who have their own particular specialties. And that's what I'm going to do. So Mm -hmm. when I decided to really make self-publishing the way, the method through which I was going to get my words and my books out there for the public, I knew that I needed to have those professionals. And I knew that a professional editor was going to have to be a part of that team. Actually, I'm going to just throw in there probably more than one because, you know, there are different types of editing. And again, when you have the same person looking at your stuff the whole time, and sometimes you start to miss things. It's true. And that's why in my business, I have an elite editing team because, well, since I coach also, I don't have time to edit 80 hours worth of a book completely by myself anymore. But that's what we do. And I'm not, yes, I am plugging, but I'm not intending to. But what I, to your point, what we do is we have one person do the heavy edits, the line edits, the content edits, the the big main edits, send it back to the client. And then a second, completely different editor does the proofread, the final proofread before, for that reason. And that's, that's pretty much what I've found too, is that 
those things have to sort of be separate because you just have to have that last line proofreader who has never laid eyes on it, doesn't have any investment in it and can't provide that level of context for themselves. So they're really looking at every word that you write because I promise you that reviewers out there will find every typo and they will point them out and they will let you know. And it's really frustrating, especially as a newbie author to get a review that basically says this person should have hired an editor. And then, you know, especially when you have hired an editor and a right. person still says that because you haven't. I can do you one better. <laughs> what if you are an editor? Yeah. And then your books have a typo. <laughs> uh, yeah. I get, oh my gosh, Amy. So I said, terrifying. I say it's crazy. It's really not an us thing because I defy you to find even a Stephen King book without a typo. Oh yeah. The first thing. But what's funny is I send the newsletter out two or three times a week. And I promise you once a month, at least I get an email. Did you know that you misspelled the, and I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry that bothered you so badly because that's clearly not. And I think that the same thing goes with typos in our books. Some of this, some of it, when reviewers are like, you misspelled this one word that I found out of 80,000. Okay, give yourself some room there to breathe because that's not a you thing. That's a them thing. But when you get a comment, it's an important thing to really note. When you notice more than one person reviewing your book, more than two or three saying, gosh, this just needed an edit. You know, that's different. Yeah. Yes. I think patterns, like finding patterns in reviews, you know, some people will say don't read your reviews, but I think there's actually some educational value there, partially in patterns, because yes, if you have more than one reviewer saying something, there may actually be something that you need to look at. And maybe it's not something that you have to fix. It's just something that you have to consider Mm -hmm. when you're moving forward. Yeah, exactly. Then be aware for the next one. Depends on how heavy, how big of an issue it is. Yeah, I'm sure. not like it when people say, don't read your reviews. Now, I'll temper that by saying, I have like my first book that came out 15 years ago. I don't read the reviews now because what am I going to do? It's uh, that gets cooked, right? But during launch week, maybe in the first several weeks, it is actually not a bad idea. Maybe don't go down a rabbit hole of like obsessing. But yeah, check out your top ones. Check out your not so great ones. It's going to hurt. But here's the thing we need thicker skin as authors. We just have to. Oh, yeah. We're surrounded by rejection. We're surrounded by, you know, criticism that is not always constructive. So yes. <laughs> and it is an art form and a craft. So it's objective. Yeah. It is completely objective. One man's trash is another man's treasure. So, you know, we can't, we've got to learn to filter through what we need to hear as feedback versus what we need to not pay attention to and put blinders on. And that For just sure. takes time and learning and experience. And I think most authors, and by you, by at this point with you, I'm sure you agree. It probably still sings a little if you get a not so nice yeah. review, but it doesn't obsess like you used to maybe early in the beginning. No, and my general philosophy on it too is if I'm getting bad reviews or I'm getting people who are like, I just couldn't finish this book or whatever it is that they say, then I'm actually reaching readers who are not just the people who like would naturally come over to me. And that's okay because it shows that I've got more reach than I had before. That's a good perspective. Well, listen, Amy, let's take a quick break. I want to hear from our sponsors because, you know, pay the bills. And then we'll come right back. I've got a couple more questions for you and then we'll wrap it up. Want to know the absolute worst thing you can do to your book? 
especially if you want it to be successful, is to not hire a professional editor before you publish it. In fact, I'd go so far as to call that book baby neglect. Listen, I can hear your inner voice now shouting at me through the speaker, but I can't afford to hire a professional editor. Truth bomb time. You ready for this? You can't afford to not hire one. Look, here's the thing. As well as being a longtime publishing professional, I'm an author first and foremost. So I get it. Trust me, I do. But I'm telling you, the one guaranteed kiss of death for any book is when the author rushes straight from typing the end to hitting submit on KDP. I've worked with hundreds and hundreds of authors in my career, and I've never once met one who successfully launched their book after skipping the crucial step of professional editing. And while professional book editing can seem like a huge expense, you have to stop thinking of your editor's fee as money going down the drain. Instead, realize that this is an investment in your career, your book, and your career as an author. Okay, so, but now how do I find a pro editor I can trust? Well, with so many editing services, quote unquote, popping up every day, Sometimes finding an editor who is experienced, skilled, and trustworthy can feel like you're stuck in a bad, trippy game of whack-a-mole. You're in luck, though, because you don't have to spend tons of hours online trying to find a reliable, experienced, and trustworthy pro book editor. I offer totally free same-day sample edits. That's both line and content slash developmental as well as a bonus video commentary and an exact quote. If you just know you have a bestseller burning a hole through your computer screen, dying to make its way into the world, and you're dead serious about giving your book every possible advantage so it flies off the shelves on launch day, I have a sweet treat for you. If you visit my website now or hit the link in the show notes, then you follow that link and use the coupon code book boss 10 that's book boss one zero when prompted i'll even take 10 percent off my already affordable fee and that's before we break it down into installments yeah i do those let's make magic together shall we okay we are back on the self-publishing success podcast with amy rivers and we've been talking about the necessity of hiring and finding an editor to work with the who, what, when, where, why, and how. And we've talked about all the why you need one. So we beat that dead horse and even how to find them a little bit. But let's now shift focus a little bit more and talk about that finding process. I know how you said you, you met the author at the thing, but what would be if you were giving advice to, I'm a newbie author, and I say, hey, Amy, I'm here meeting you at this conference. I, I need to find an editor. I know that now, but where do I even begin? Any tips for us? Uh, I think that it's really important for writers to have community for this reason, because writing communities can often be a good place to get references or to get, you know, the resources that you need, including suggestions for editors, um, writing organizations or publishing organizations that actually do some vetting of the editors that they work with are really great because then, you know, you have maybe testimonials or feedback from other members to give you an idea of what you're getting yourself into. 
looking at books that you really like, especially indie books, because obviously, you know, most of the indie books are going to have a freelance editor that's going to be working on them. Looking at those books that you really thought were done very well and that are in your genre, um, you know, in your kind of area are, is a great place. Oftentimes people will put their editor in the acknowledgements. And so you can often find recommendations that way. So, um, you know, but I think you can also just do searches, but I think it's great when you can have some word of mouth. It is. Word of mouth is, I'm glad you said that because it is so important. And without me giving my whole lecture on how, and it's almost what you just said, how to and how not to find an editor, I do want to say the worst way, in my opinion, to find an editor is go on Facebook and post, I need an editor. Because I'm sure you've seen this. You get 120 comments, sure. But yeah. In my opinion, and from my experience, professional editors aren't the ones responding to those most of the time. Sometimes they are. True. Sometimes they are. But most of us are so busy with work, we don't go trolling for that. Oh, please. Yes, I'll edit your book for 200 bucks. You know, that's that's thick. But what you said, everything you said is exactly right. And I don't even think enough to emphasize that, but I will now. Referral and word of mouth is the strongest, the best way you can find to get a good editor. because. If it's someone you trust, especially, or even virtually, but you know them well, and they say, hey, I used Amy Rivers and she's the best editor ever, then you know that you, you're you not just taking a gamble, you know, or at least you're way less likely yeah. to doing that. Well, and I mean, I think that there's something to be said also for if you get a word of mouth referral from someone who knows you mm-hmm. or knows what you write, mm-hmm. then they're going to maybe help you find an editor that is really the right editor for you too. Because I think that working with editors, you're going to laugh maybe, I don't know, or find this mm-hmm. creepy, but I think working with editors is kind of like finding a good therapist. Oh. Like you can have people who are qualified, they can work really well and know their stuff, but if they're not a good fit for you, because maybe your story isn't the kind of story they like to edit or it's not something that they like to read. There are lots of good reasons why an editor maybe isn't a good fit. Yeah. And it's okay. Long-term partnership, really. Right. You have to find out and make sure this is a person for me to work with for the next three months. Absolutely. And I think that if you are not willing to make that decision, if you're going to go with an editor, maybe things didn't work out. You didn't like their sample edits, whatever it happened to be, but you're like, this is what I'm going to go with because I need an editor. You're kind of setting both yourself and the editor up to fail. Or because it's the cheapest and we want more. Or because it's the cheapest. Mm -hmm. And I mean, editing, you know, there's a whole live person on the other end of that doing a whole lot of work on your manuscript. So we really need to consider that we need to have a budget for ed- editing and we need to be realistic about Thank what you. we're going to be spending on it. So true. I always tell my listeners and followers that's true because it does take us on average 60 to a hundred hours to edit a mm-hmm. book total, not at once. But the other thing is not just what you said, but to, to expand on that a little bit, not only is it that, but it's also an investment in your career. So I always try to encourage authors, stop thinking of it as I need a bargain basement. I need the very best, cheapest price because I don't want to, you're not just writing a check to someone. You are A, getting services, like you said, and they're humans and they deserve to be paid. But B, it's for you. It's your investment in yourself, your book, your career. So if you don't do it, it ain't going to work. So if you do though, sure, you've put two, $3,000, whatever it is down and that stings. We all know it, but 
Some take payments like I do and many of us do, but also it's going to pay you back eventually. If not on the first book, eventually that is an investment in your career and you will see payoff on your dividends. So that's a really good point too. Well, and I think you have to decide, you know, as a, as a self-published author, for sure, you have to figure out what your budget looks like and what you can afford and how you're going to invest things and make your decisions accordingly. But there is a lot of, you get what you pay for in this industry. So yeah. I'm going to put that on a t-shirt. One of these days I I have an Etsy shop, so I might as well. I'm going to put it on a t-shirt. You get what you pay for. And then for that, (laughs) hire a professional editor. There you go. That's a good idea. Anyway, so I'm sure it's safe to say that once you did find and work with your editor, that your books, you saw a difference, if nothing else. If, if you didn't see a difference in revenue, you at least saw a difference in your writing. So how did that happen? What, did your life change? Did your book sales change? What happened? I stopped worrying as much about everything having to be perfect on the first go, which really allowed me to focus in on the creative parts of creating my book. I know somebody else will fix a lot of the small details that I'm not going to see. And then also it really does like make you aware of things like crutch words. I have new crutch words for every book I write because I get rid of the old ones every time I go through an edit and I realize I've done it. I'm an overachiever. So I always replace them with fun and other crutch words, but it's interesting because it does make you really start thinking about your process. And I would say that the books that I write now are much cleaner and much better than they were when I started because I've already got all these ideas. And a lot of those ideas are things that came through edits where I started realizing where I have problems. Like I am a overuser of commas. I love commas. I put them everywhere. I could practically put them in between every word sometimes and be perfectly happy. Comma two, comma, I comma two, comma that too. (laughs) Yes. I have this idea that like the comma needs to go everywhere that I want to take a break or breath. But then sometimes I'm like, actually, maybe that's sort of an inappropriate amount of breathtaking Mm -hmm. and breaking that I'm doing. (laughs) Maybe that's like a breathing stutter or something. There's something up with that. For sure. That so great. And, and to that point, too, a really good editor, and I'm going to quit saying like me, but any really good editor honestly should be teaching you not just fixing typos. Yes. And at least yeah. if they're not actively making it a point, which I, which I do, you know, I always say, here's why I'm changing this. And here's how you can look forward yeah. to that. If they're not actively doing that, okay. But if, as long as you are using it as a learning experience, exactly like you said. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's one thing to get an edit back where you're basically just going to do a approve all changes and move on with your life. If that's the way that you're approaching incorporating those comments into your world, then you know, okay. <laughs> but okay. I think it's a lot better if you can use this sort of thing as a learning experience because it is going to improve your your craft. It's going to improve. It's going to make it easier really to move from those first drafts into revisions in a way that is not going to make you want to, you know, fall over dead or climb under a rock somewhere, which is always helpful because revision is a pain and it just is what it is. So, (laughs) and that's so true too. And on that last note, let's get back on track with the very last question. And it's a two-parter. So I am kind of cheating. So what are you working on currently that you want to tell us about? And then what can my listeners expect to look for from you in the next little bit? 
I am working on the third book in the series that I'm writing right now. It's a three book series about human trafficking in small town, New Mexico. So the third book will be coming out in October and I'll finish off that book series, which I'm super excited about because I've got a hundred million other ideas that I want to work on. And it's fun, you know, writing a series versus writing standalones because okay. you kind of get enmeshed and there's all the characters. Uh, but in addition to that, I actually had an opportunity to write for an anthology and I wanted to take a scene from this upcoming book that I couldn't tell through the eyes of one of the characters because they weren't a perspective character. Oh. And so I'm writing a short story from her perspective of this thing that happened during the book. So I'm like experimenting. It's going to be a lot of fun. So that's what the Women Thriller Writers Association uh, upcoming summer anthology. I'm super excited. Oh, I love it. And that's a good point that we could even kind of end the show on is that I always say, don't delete anything. And I'm sure you know this by now. Don't delete anything because exactly that. What Amy just did is she had a scene. I don't know if you wrote or wrote some of it or just had it in your brain. Regardless, there's a place for that somewhere. Somewhere you could be in another book or in an anthology or in your promo or anything. Always keep everything and never delete. Even if you think it's crap, it may be somewhere. Well, thank you, Amy. It has been a wonderful, wonderful discussion. And I am so, you're just going to have to come back. I mean, that's just the end of that. So deal. (laughs) All right. So before we go, I'm going to have one quick listen from a sponsor and then we'll wrap up the show and be done for today. All right. Thank you so much. Sure thing. So thank you so much to this week's guest host, Amy Rivers. Be sure to follow her. Oh, by the way, Amy, I'm glad that we didn't let you go yet. Tell us where we can find and follow you. I am all over social media and you can visit me at my website, which is amyrivers.com. What's your handle on social media? Instagram is where I spend most of my time and my handle is amy.rivers38. Awesome. We will find you. So do that. Be sure to find her, follow her, engage with her, all the things, support authors all the time. And if you support this podcast, you can help us continue teaching, helping, and supporting authors around the world on how to successfully launch their books and writing careers by becoming their own book boss. Find and follow us on every social media platform, except Twitter, at Book Boss Official, and be sure to check out my website, bookbossacademy.com, to learn more about this show, as well as my author coaching and book editing services. And finally, shop for author templates and tutorials and fun bookish apparel, stickers, and more at bookbossacademy.etsy.com. And remember, stay cool, be yourself, and never stop writing. As amazing as AI programs are, No computer, no bot, will ever be able to replicate the human brain, in my humble opinion. But that's why you must have a professional editor help you polish your book before you publish. However, even as an editor with over 12 years of industry experience, I know that AI software does have its place in our world, And that's why I highly recommend ProWritingAid for your self-editing round, and you can even use it to help improve your writing as you go. Let ProWritingAid check for silly mistakes or those nasty, pesky little habits like misspelled words or grammar issues and punctuation so you can focus on what you're best at, writing a kick-ass novel.
And now you can try ProWritingAid and all its tools, plugins, and extensions free for 30 days just for listening to this podcast. Hit the link in my show notes or visit my website on the Shop Now page where you'll find the link to set up your free 30-day trial of ProWritingAid now and start writing cleaner, faster, and better. Okay, folks, that's a wrap on this week's episode of the Self-Publishing Success Podcast. Thanks again to this week's amazing guest host, and be sure to follow them on their social media accounts, subscribe to their newsletter, and keep an eye out for their books. As always, thanks to our sponsors for making this show possible. This podcast is brought to you by Book Boss Academy, and your host is yours truly, author, coach, and book editor, Christina Kay. You can learn more about Book Boss Academy, my services, and my helpful resources for authors by visiting bookbossacademy.com. There, you can also find previous seasons and episodes of this podcast, access the show notes, and read our transcripts. And don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok at Book Boss Academy for daily free tips, tricks, and advice on writing your best book, self-publishing it successfully, and becoming your own book boss. I follow back and I answer all comments and messages within 24 hours. Last but not least, please be a dear and hit that subscribe button show us some love and make it easier to find our show and get notifications when new episodes drop each week. Until next week, later, love you, bye.